0: Now notice what he says, verse 23. They also, who's the they? Once again, nation of Israel. If they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. Do you think this if is anticipating their return? We know that it is. And now listen carefully to what he has to say. For if you... Gentile believer, church believer, were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted, notice this next phrase, contrary to nature. Contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? The practice that they had in those days was to take a sliver from a cultivated olive tree and they would graft it into a wild olive tree that the wild olive tree might produce fruit. That's the normal way of doing it. It goes against reason, it goes against sense, and it goes against logic to take a wild olive tree to graft into a cultivated olive tree. But you have to ask yourself the question, what is the purpose of engrafting? Why even do it to bring fruit from a tree that's not producing? Dwell on that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. God likes to do things contrary to anything we call sense. But we have what we call common sense, but there is a spiritual common sense that goes against the grain of all human thinking. It is a spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding of God who is able to call into being things that don't even exist. It's a wisdom and a knowledge and a common sense and an understanding of a God that just defies all our expectations. And so what does God do? And he anticipates it by the first major prophet of the Old Testament. He told him what was coming. He anticipated what was coming. And he said, I'm going to take a people who are not even a nation. David said he's going to create a people that don't even exist yet. And I'm going to use them contrary to all expectations to help you get across the finish line. And that is the role of the church in relation to the nation of Israel to provoke them to jealousy the word jealousy is not just jealousy in the sense of well we resent the privileges that you have or we resent how god used you it's a it's a zealousness remember he said earlier in chapter 10 i His heart was poured out for the children of Israel because they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Where are they going to get the knowledge? They're going to get the knowledge from the writings of the Apostle Paul and from the ministry of the church. And finally, when their eyes are open and they wake up, they're going to look back and they're going to say, look at what God did with nothing. What could he do with us? And they are going to go out with a fire that is going to light this world on fire. It's going to be exciting. And it's just around the corner. If you were cut out of the olive tree that is wild by nature and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? What has to happen for them to be grafted back in? We have to be cut off. Rapture of the church, pre-tribulational, it is the only... Position. It's the only perspective that makes any sense at all in every single passage in which the rapture is spoken of. Verse 25. I love it when Paul talks like this. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Most of the church today is ignorant we we are like kids lost in the city and we have no idea where we are we have no idea where we're going we can't see the signs even though they're all around us and we're just stumbling along saying somebody find me i don't know where to go i do not desire that you be ignorant let's not be ignorant i do not desire that you be ignorant of this mystery we've seen mystery again and again and again the mystery in first corinthians 15 the mystery in 1st uh, Thessalonians 5, the mystery in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2. This mystery, what does it mean? Simple definition for the mystery. Church, age, doctrine, specifically were revealed to the Apostle Paul. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That's the arrogance that he spoke of earlier, the attitude of superiority and and condescension to the nation of Israel, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until, there's the key word, until. How long will the nation of Israel, well, first let me ask the question, why are they blind? We don't have time to turn to it, but he explains the reason for the blindness in Second Corinthians chapter three. Remember when he talks about the veil? And in the reading of the law, there is a veil over their eyes and the veil remains even to this present hour. But when they turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. That's been true of Jews throughout the entire duration of church history. That's going to be true of Israel as a nation suddenly, almost instantaneously, with the opening of the eyes of 144,000 Jewish evangelists following the rapture of the church. Blindness in part in part because yes some jews have come to christ it's a wonderful thing when you see a person that comes out of the people of israel come into the church but you know what once they come into the church the fact that they're out of israel really not that big a deal it doesn't make them a superior christian they're simply a member of the church neither jew nor gentile male nor female you remember all that Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the rapture of the church. Here's the fullness. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the harvest of the Gentiles has come in, that is the harvest of the church age, guess what's going to happen? The blindness is going to be removed. And he says in verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come out of Zion. Now where are we? Second like an advent. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them. God keeps his covenants when I take away their sins. Now notice carefully verse 28. Concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sake. There are many among the Jews who hate it, And this is amazing because their economy depends largely on tourism that is fueled by Christian pilgrims going to Israel. And they love the the crowds, the groups. When you go there, you see the tour buses, you see this church, that church, this ministry, that ministry, and they're all over there to see the land, and they're all over there to get a sense of the geography and, and, and the history and the culture and everything else. And they love that. But they hate your faith ask a jewish person why the most famous jew that ever walked the planet is disregarded by the nation of israel you want to see some hostility try to tell them that the messiah that they rejected is the messiah that's coming back you want to see some hostility they're enemies against you for the gospel's sake for christ's sake because as a people they continue to reject him that's that's on their part that's that's their problem that's their hang-up but I want you to notice what Paul says here. Concerning the gospel, they enemies for your sake. That is against you. Concerning the election, they are the beloved for the sake of the fathers. Could I suggest something to you? This term election has been so abused. Election is not to salvation. Nowhere in the Bible. Election is to a purpose. God chooses for a purpose, and they are the elect for a purpose. And that purpose was to give the world a Bible, and to give to the world a Redeemer. The preponderance of the evidence tells me that every time elections used, it has some connection to the nation of Israel. We are elect for only one reason, and that is we were grafted in to serve a purpose for them. Is it true that the church and that church-age believers have a higher standing than they? Absolutely. Is it true that in eternity we are going to be on a plane higher than they? Absolutely. Their kingdom is an earthly kingdom throughout all eternity. Their kingdom is in a geographic location. It's called the land of Israel. Our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, and it always will be. They will always be an earthly people. We will always be a heavenly people. And as Jesus Christ said in John 10, which I meant to get to and I didn't get to, In the passage where he's talking about the good shepherd, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, them I also must bring. Who's he talking about? He's anticipating the church. But he says, when I have brought them in and I have brought you in, then there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And we will be a part of that overruling kingdom that is going to involve heaven and earth. But we have our particular sphere. They have their particular sphere. We will never become them. They will never become us. We have a superior standing. We are in Christ. They're children of the kingdom. We're the bride of the king. Put it in terms of of the understanding of a kingdom. We are the royal family. They are members of the kingdom. Concerning the election. That is the choice of God for that nation. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And folks, when the church stops loving the nation of Israel because of what God did through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the others, we've lost our sense of direction. We're adrift spiritually. Here's a verse that we like to quote all the time about ourselves, but it's not about ourselves. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It is true of us, but only by application. The context tells us he's talking about the nation of Israel. For as you were once disobedient to God, and yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. I want you to look at this word mercy. Is Paul making a point? Even so, these, Israel, have now been disobedient, that through the mercy Shown to you, they may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. And then Paul goes into a doxology as if he is just so overwhelmed with the things that he's writing that are coming out of his pen. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who first gave to him? And it should be repaid to him, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Take out the chapter division. Throw away the chapter division And read the next two verses. And he says, I beseech you, church, therefore, by the mercies of God. Oh, let's jump back to Romans chapter 6 through 8. No. Why don't we look at Romans 11? Mercy, 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 mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the perfect will of God that he's just told us about? (coughs) A ministry of the church to Israel. A ministry that will ultimately see them restored. A ministry that the church, for the most part, for 2,000 years has failed in. Martin Luther was a magnificent giant, a man of tremendous spiritual stature, but he was anti-Semitic to the core. He hated the Jews. He wrote that they should be annihilated, wiped out. When Hitler came to the fore in World War II, leading up to World War II, he quoted Martin Luther to get the churches of Germany to support him in the annihilation of the Jew. And you know what they did? They either went along actively or passively. Church today is doing the same thing. Our world hates the Jew. What do you think Paul's talking about when he says, do not be conformed to this world? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes immediately into spiritual gifts and ministry. Every believer has a spiritual gift, every believer has a ministry, and that minister- ministry has a two-pronged focus. One is the Great Commission, and that is to the world at large, but things always tend to go from the general to the specific, and the specific is particularly a ministry to the children of Israel. And I will say this, down through the ages, it is a shame and a disgrace That when the world has persecuted the Jews, when the world has hated the Jews, when the world has driven them from place to place, we as a church have not played the role that we should have played. We should have been what we will be during the Armageddon campaign. We should have been a shield to them. And there are some who have. There are wonderful exceptions, but they are so few and far between the 10 booms of history who risked their lives and ultimately paid by being sent to prison camps for hiding, protecting, feeding, clothing. And during the tribulation period, there will be believing Gentiles who will literally lay their lives on the line for the Jewish people and that by the way is another reason why the rapture cannot come at the second advent it has to come before the tribulation because when jesus comes at the second advent he is going to separate the nations and how does he separate them what does he call them He calls them sheep and goats, and the goats are unbelievers, and the sheep are believers. But what does he say to those who are sheep, those who have come through this terrible, terrible time of tribulation? I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. And what are they doing? They are doing something the church has failed to do, and that is they're laying their lives on the line for the nation of Israel. Can you begin to see that to look at the blessed hope, you can't just rip it out of its historical context. You can't divorce it from where we've come from, you, t- you you can't take this branch called the church and just break it off the tree and say, forget the tree, forget the roots. I need to be transformed and my transformation is not only so that I can reach a world in need of Christ, but so that I can stand up as a proponent of a people who have been hated and despised and cursed since the day they were born in their father Abraham. Could I just throw this out as a last thought? One day you're going to walk the streets of Jerusalem. Whether the Jerusalem of the earth or the new Jerusalem, you are going to walk the streets and you're going to meet Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, Isaac, Jacob, Boaz, Ruth, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you're going to meet them. Do you know that they're going to know your history? They're going to know whether we did our job. They're going to know whether we were the shield that we should have been. I don't want to have to hang my head in the present. I want my blessed hope to truly be a blessed hope. Because as I'm going to show you in our next session, for many believers, the blessed hope has very little blessing.